Welcome to Come Follow Me, Deep Dive. This is where we take a chapter-by-chapter approach to the scriptures that are assigned by the Come Follow Me curriculum of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My name is Barry Hillam, and I hope that this podcast will be a benefit to you. In each episode, you will hear a short flyover summary for the scriptural chapter in question, followed by a verse-by-verse reading that is supplemented with commentary from parallel passages of scripture and from modern-day prophets. You might consider adjusting the playback speed in your favorite podcast player. With that, I'm glad you're with me. Let's get started. First Nephi chapter 6 is a beautiful six-verse interlude. It's a break in the narrative that we've been following since chapter 1, where Nephi is abridging the record of Lehi and telling us the story of their departure from Jerusalem. Nephi, who was very deliberate in what he chose to include in his record, has decided to place this, this little interlude here and remind us of the fullness of his intent in writing this record, which he conveys to us in verse 4, saying that the fullness of mine intent is that I may persuade men to come unto the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and be saved. He seems to want to reorient us as readers to that intent and to calibrate us to that. He seems to be telling us that this is his guiding star and that this is his uh, guide or metric for what it is that he includes in the record and that for us as readers, um, that should be our guide and our filter through which, uh, through which we read this record. He further clarifies this by drawing a contrast in verse 5 between the things which are pleasing unto the world and the things which are pleasing unto God, making it clear that there can be a difference and that he is going to favor the latter. It is that latter category of content, the things which are pleasing unto God, that he says will be of the most worth in the next uh, verse, in verse 6, and that that's what will occupy these plates. So again, for some reason, it's Nephi's desire at this point, as we're progressing through the chapters of the Book of Mormon, to stop and to clarify why he has included what it is that he has included. Exactly why that is here, uh, he doesn't say, but perhaps we can pick up some hints as to why he might be providing this information in First Nephi chapter 6. So with that as an introduction, let's go to verse 1. And now I, Nephi, do not give the genealogy of my fathers in this part of my record, Neither at any time shall I give it after upon these plates which I am writing. For it is given in the record which has been kept by my father, wherefore I do not write it in this work. We might wonder what question this is answering. Uh, As readers, were were we asking uh, Nephi for a genealogy of his father's? Well, uh, I I think in his understanding of what it is that is being transmitted in his record, he knows that genealogy plays a critical part, and he makes that clear 
at the end of the previous chapter, showing us that not only did the brass plates bring the teachings of the, of the law and the prophets as he described them, but also the genealogy of his fathers was transmitted there. He seems to be telling us then that he recognizes the importance of genealogy in Scripture, but he's also telling us that this is an abridgment. Now, he doesn't use that word here, but he does uh, previously. And, and he's having to pick and choose what he writes. So he's telling us that the genealogy of his fathers, it's written uh, by the record that's kept by his father. So he's not going to write it here. Maybe it's as simple as Nephi anticipating what it is that we as readers might be expecting at this point as we're reading this abridgment of his father's record, we might be saying that the genealogy of our fathers is very critical. And so is Nephi going to record that in his record as well, since that was a key point that he's drawing from the acquisition of the brass plates? So he's answering that question here, and then saying in verse 2 that he can sum it up this way, for it sufficeth me to say that we are descendants of Joseph. As we've discussed previously, that's no small statement because of the way that that plugs the Book of Mormon narrative in to the great, well, in a way, the great patriarchal tree that is laid out for us in Genesis. That this record of this people, these descendants of Lehi, are a branch of that great tree, or more to the point, a vine or a bough that plugs in to that great uh, ancestry. Then Nephi explains in verse 3, And it mattereth not to me that I am particular to give a full account of all the things of my father, for they cannot be written upon these plates. For I desire the room that I may write the things of God. This gives us an idea when he says, I desire the room, that there is limited room on these plates and that it's important for Nephi to choose carefully what it is that he records and transmits to future readers. And because of this, he wants to make sure that it's the things of God and that that is um, the highest priority. He also wants... uh, future contributors to this record to see to the same. He wants them, as he says in verse 6, to not occupy these plates with things which are of not worth, which are not of worth unto the children of men. When we search for application in this chapter and and wonder what this could mean for us, we might think about Paul's great statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 3 of that chapter, he says, Forasmuch as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. We might consider how we too are writers, just as Nephi is, and compilers and collectors of information and of truths, and that we, too, should be choosy about what it is that we write on the fleshy tables of our heart. We might say that, in a sense, this is where we write 
our record. And so we could ask, do we give preference to the things of God? Maybe more to the point here, this could apply to the way we read the Book of Mormon. Uh, Perhaps there's only enough room or only enough time as we study the Book of Mormon that we should read it in the way that Nephi wrote it. And maybe that's what he's teaching us. Maybe that when we read it, we should give preference to, as he says, the things of God. There is minutiae, in a way, in the Book of Mormon. Uh, there are geographical details. Uh, we get to, I think it's Alma chapter 11, we read a lot about currency. We often look for hints about chronology and other historical tie-ins that help to uh, lend a veracity to this great scriptural account in the minds of the public. We've spoken previously about the literary forms that we find in the Book of Mormon, the Hebraisms and Chiasmus, and we'll have other opportunities to talk about that. All of these can answer questions as we read the Book of Mormon, but among all of the questions that are addressed in this great book that Nephi is beginning here, there is a great question, and that's a phrase that was used by Amulek in Alma chapter 34. He says in verse 5, And we have beheld that the great question which is in your minds is whether the word be in the Son of God or whether there shall be no Christ. And ye also beheld that my brother has proved unto you, that's he's referring to Alma, his companion, in many instances that the word is in Christ unto salvation. So perhaps with this in mind, Nephi might be telling us what it is that he would prefer for us to focus on as we read this record. And maybe in this we find uh, an answer to the question of, of why he is including this um, six-verse chapter in this spot in his record. Elder Neil A. Maxwell in a BYU devotional, uh, this was in... 1986, talked about this great and preeminent question that we pull from the Book of Mormon. Uh, And and I'd like to read a couple paragraphs from this. He said, The Book of Mormon provides resounding and great answers to what Amulek designated as the great question, namely, is there really a redeeming Christ? The Book of Mormon with clarity and with evidence says yes, yes, yes. Moreover, In its recurring theme, the book even declares that all things which have been given of God from the beginning of the world unto man are the typifying of Christ. That's out of 2 Nephi 11, verse 4. How striking its answers are, considering all that God might have chosen to tell us. He before whom all things, past, present, and future, are continually, has chosen to tell us about the gospel, the transcending good news the resplendent answers to the great question. Astoundingly, too, God who has created worlds without number 
has chosen to reassure us on this tiny speck of sand (laughs) that he doeth not anything save it be for the benefit of this world, for he loveth this world, as it says in 2 Nephi 26, 24. And for behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. So those are a few thoughts on that beautiful phrase in verse 3, I desire the room that I may write the things of God. It seems to me that we should make room in our own hearts and in our own reading of this record for the things of God, first and foremost, to read it in the same spirit in which Nephi wrote it. Verse 4 says, For the fullness of mine intent is that I may persuade men to come unto the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and be saved. Abraham expressed something similar at the beginning of his record. He said, quote, in Abraham 1, verse 31, I shall endeavor to write some of the things upon this record for the benefit of my posterity that shall come after me. He doesn't use this beautiful phrase of Nephi's, the fullness of mine intent, but the spirit of what Abraham is writing is similar. By using fullness of mine intent, Nephi shows us his modus operandi, so to speak, uh, his motive. This was central to everything that he wrote, was to bring people to Christ. President Ezra Taft Benson said this, The Book of Mormon brings men to Christ. It tells in a plain manner of Christ and his gospel. It testifies of his divinity and of the necessity for a Redeemer and the need of our putting trust in him. It bears witness of the fall and the atonement and the first principles of the gospel, including our need of a broken heart and a contrite spirit and a spiritual rebirth. It proclaims we must endure to the end in righteousness and live the moral life of a saint. There's something else in this verse that President Benson helps us understand. When Nephi talks about this fullness of his intent and persuading people to come to Christ, the word Christ isn't used in this verse, but instead it is the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Well, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When we hear that phrase and we read it, we tend to think of those three patriarchal figures. Uh, But really, this is a euphemism. It's a name title for Jesus Christ. President Benson said, We must keep in mind who Jesus was before he was born. He was the creator of all things, the great Jehovah, the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was and is the Holy One of Israel. Then, back to verse 5, here's this contrast that Nephi paints between the things of the world and the things of God. He says, Wherefore the things which are pleasing unto the world, I do not write, but the things which are pleasing unto God and unto those who are not of the world. And there's the first time we see that phrase in the Book of Mormon narrative, not of the world. That uh, is a framing concept for understanding as the story goes on, Uh, understanding the fundamental difference between Nephi and Laman and Lemuel. It might be helpful to stop and ask, 
what would be pleasing to the world that Nephi is not writing? What is it that he's choosing not to include? He's told us that he's not going to include genealogy, at least in this record. What other things that might be pleasing unto the world is he not including? Well, we we could certainly say that it's not sensational content. It's not um, entertainment only for the sake of entertainment. Uh, We can read other things that do that for us. The spiritual content is certainly not diluted. Uh, It's something that requires effort on our parts to understand. It's, It's as though we have to go, we have to approach the Word on its level that he writes. It doesn't always come to us until we really study it. Uh, no wonder at the very beginning of First Nephi he talks about uh, becoming acquainted with the language of his father and suggesting that uh, I think in a way that that's what we have to do in order to uh, 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 receive what is being transmitted through the Book of Mormon. It requires spiritual effort. So it's not diluted. Uh, other things which might be pleasing unto the world would be very definite historical tie-ins that would eliminate all doubt as to the veracity of the Book of Mormon, or perhaps more definitive geographical proofs. There are enough of both of those things to tease us and to allow us to connect some dots, but we're still left with the fundamental task of accepting this great record on on the merits of the message of Jesus Christ. So I'm sure other things could be added to that list, but I think it's a useful question to say what what would be pleasing to the world that Nephi is not writing. Then in verse 6, to end this chapter, he says, Wherefore, I shall give commandment unto my seed, that they shall not occupy these plates with the things which are not of worth unto the children of men. So we can see here without a doubt that Nephi cares deeply that his record is written in a certain way. And he wants to pause and tell us that. And he wants to make sure that future writers do the same. We, we certainly find that future writers are true to this charge, and we see that Alma carries this same charge on to Helaman when he transmits the records to him, for example. I think it could be said that in addition to looking forward to future writers and addressing future contributors to the record, Nephi is also addressing future readers. He's addressing us, I believe. Uh, We certainly know that Moroni saw us. Uh, He says as much in his record. He says, Jesus Christ hath shown you unto me, and I know your doings. We'll learn in a few chapters that Nephi will have such a broad panoramic vision that he too, although he doesn't say, um, might also be afforded a view of us like Moroni was, and, and Moses certainly was, during his grand panoramic vision. So Nephi does have a sense for who will be reading this record in the future. Uh, and, And really, this chapter seems to be the time for him 
to tell us what the true intent is behind this book's inception and behind its composition. And if we read it with the same intent, it's interesting that later Moroni will say pure intent, and paying the most heed to the details that address that great question of Amulek, and that, to use Nephi's language, teach us the things of God, we will be most richly rewarded. So that brings us to the end, then, of 1 Nephi chapter 6.